And in the middle of it, it transitions to the, to the animated film yeah. where she's Mrs. Potts. And you heard from my class. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of Sincast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, Mubi introduces a new gem and you have one month to watch it. From cult classics to acclaimed masterpieces, every film is hand-selected by experts. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash cinemasins. That's mubi.com slash cinemasins for your extended free trial. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hi! And we have a very special episode here today. Yeah! Oh, we have the Maltons, as in Yay. Leonard Malton and Jesse Malton. Yay! Yeah. That's right. From Malton on Movies, which we just did. Yeah! yeah. And now we're, we're turning it on them. We're turning the focus on them. You may have Boy. seen us trivia compete against Leonard and Jesse Malton right. on the Schmodown. Mm -hmm. Um, you may have heard Jesse guest on our podcast uh, a few months back via mm -hmm. Skype, and now they are in town this week for the Nashville Film Festival, uh, and uh, we were not going to let them get away without having them both <laughs> guest again in studio, Yes, and uh, boy, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great to have guests who are in some form part of the, the industry that we're in. We've had like some interesting like guests just in the film industry, like Simser, who does the storyboards yep. and stuff like that. Uh, having actual movie critics and people who know and love movies—that's a that's a big huge thing for us, and especially someone I've seen forever on TV and seen and and used to at Hollywood Twenty Seven, used to have the Leonard Malton home video guide. Me and a guy used to play a game with it, like used to try to guess the year, the actors in the movie, all that type of stuff. You want That was the IMDb before the IMDb. <laughs> no of course, the IMDb was still around, but we couldn't access it at work. You know, it was uh, that book was the IMDb for us. Glad you could join us. Well, we're very glad to be here. Yeah, I think I speak for both. Of them. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. At least one of you is glad to be here. Uh, I love I love listening to your podcast, Malton on Movies. Um, I I'm so feel good like, at plugging. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the the guests that you have really really open up to you guys in a way that I don't hear I don't hear that anywhere else. And it, it, you don't get to see, you get you had somebody like yeah, Al Pacino. I've never seen interview with Al Pacino before, and he just opens up like he's just a normal guy and everything. A, a weird. Imagine that <laughs> we were. We were thrilled beyond words, is, is all I can say. I, I can't pretend to have been blasé. Now, I have interviewed him before, mm -hmm. uh, multiple times, actually, mm -hmm. but not in a long while. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that we'd always hit it off and had a good conversation. I know that he likes to talk. You don't have to drag things out of him. Yeah. That's nice. Those things I knew going in. But past that, nothing. Nope. And we certainly, he was promoting his documentary about his uh, stage production of Salome, mm -hmm. which he did like eight years ago, yeah. something like that, and where he discovered Jessica Chastain. Mm. Wow. Uh, and this documentary is her first, well, the, the, the film of the, the play, the filmed record 
of the production. Is Wild Salome is the documentary, right? Mm-hmm. And then Salome. Salome is the film. Mm-hmm. So it, it they was did her a first double film. release, oh, wow. kind of a thing, so you could see and the he doc. Directed it. Yes. So so the documentary is essentially the making of both the stage production and also the film, and then the film is just the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you got Al Pacino in our studio. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and just, we never dreamt. That we would ever bring up The Godfather or Dog Day Afternoon uh, or Serpico or any of those things. We didn't know what to do, to be honest. We, <laughs> we, we didn't know. The man is filled with stories. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we, we didn't know. I can always read my dad and I can usually tell where he's going or what he wants to ask. And in this case, we I could see that we were both nervous mm-hmm. because you don't want to say, so how about The Godfather? Like, you, you know, you don't want to do that to him. Uh, because first of all, that's not technically, that's not what he's there for. He's there for this. Mm -hmm. But when he just naturally started going into these stories, I looked over at my dad and we were kind of like, Oh my God. (laughs) Him talking about him talking about meeting the actual Frank Serpico Mm -hmm. and all that, 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 that's just, that's just gold. And, and like I said, you don't get to hear that very often with, I don't think I've ever seen an interview with Pacino ever. And if you do see an interview, it's because he's there to just promote his thing. And then this, you you get these, these tonight show or something like that, three, four minute uh, sound bites. And you guys are doing this long form interview process. That's that's what we love about it. I mean, I've been on the other side of that uh, microphone, that table, uh, as an author promoting my books, mm-hmm. you know, over the years, and I know that it's so it's such a blessing when you get to talk for more than six or seven minutes. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's what we get to do with our guest is just talk in a relaxed setting, and uh, it seems to it seems to give them the ability to relax. and uh, they don't feel uptight talking to us. I think part of it is it's my dad. And his reputation is not one of a person who's going to attack you, come at you with questions you don't want to be asked. That would so be hilarious, by the way, if that was the podcast. You got Al Pacino, you're like, all right, I'm talking about Serpico, all the dirty details. What drugs did you do? Yeah. If only. No, but like, but that's definitely, other than just being why they say yes, obviously they say yes because they get to talk to him. But then they come in and they're already, they're not nervous in the same way I think they might be. Uh, and then you talk to someone for an hour mm-hmm. and a lot of times they'll apologize to us. They'll be mid story. Cause they're so used to having to talk in sound bites mm. that we have say, so I'll many. Say, I'm sorry. I'm going on. I'm sorry. Go on. We're here for you to keep telling us. Yeah, it's wild. And, and I do think the father daughter dynamic also has an effect, um, which I didn't even think about. No, they, they seem to respond to that. Yeah. Mm. I was about to say, you shouldn't sell yourself short on this because, you do have that that fangirl type of thing going on there, where you're like, I, I, you know, I I love what you do and everything, and I think it sets them at ease a little bit yeah. that that they're able to know that we're among friends here. I will be yeah. able yeah. to talk about whatever I want to talk about. We want them to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the other thing is is you want them to enjoy themselves, and. Uh, and it's such a nice, it's nice, it's nice, especially at the end if we don't know somebody. Obviously, some people we have a bit of a, a history with, or my dad has a history with them, but it's it's really nice, like Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. who we didn't know beforehand. You'd met in passing a couple of times yeah. because of the circuit, of the award circuit. 
then we got to sit with him and he's very shy and he's very mm-hmm. quiet. Um, very sweet. Very, very sweet and obviously very, very smart. And then as we got him talking, he started to do the Obama impression. No, and yeah. I lost my shit. <laughs> I couldn't. I was laughing. And our engineer, he and I, he's across from me. And so I often look at him when I'm laughing because I know if he is too, then it's like, okay, we're having the same moment. But at the end of it, you've now formed a relationship. Mm-hmm. And they may not remember you. That's not, you know, for what this is all they're doing all the time. It's mm-hmm. exhausting. But at the end, you take this photo together, and it's just like you kind of get to capture it for a minute, that lightning in a bottle of, like, we just had this really, really nice conversation together, and, and you feel like you know each other. And then you may not see them when it comes to award circuit stuff, yeah. or even actors in general. We don't know when we're going to see any of these people ever again. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't know. But we've so, captured that little piece of lightning in a bottle right yeah and that's very satisfying yeah and and you you bring up the jordan peele episode and and this brings me to my next question it's sort of a roundabout way to get to this question but uh you had a you had a story about joe dante on that on that podcast about how you ended up in gremlins 2 because jordan peele did the the gremlins 2 sketch on key and peele and everything and uh, that's a great story by the way and you can repeat it here if you like but i i suggest you go and listen to the jordan peele (laughs) podcast um but uh but does that ever become a problem for you as a movie reviewer when you are uh you're interviewing uh these people and then you you review a movie that you don't like or do they know the game at this point the smart ones know the game, mm-hmm. but some of them are driven more by emotion than by, you know, the, the rational part of their brain. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that there are filmmakers in Hollywood that are emotional? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Certainly not actors. No, Certainly no, not no, actors. no, no. Uh, generally, you know, we, we invite people on whose work we like overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... So every now and then, every now and then, there'll be an awkward uh, uh, situation where we haven't seen their new film yet mm-hmm. when we commit to doing the podcast. And if we happen to see it and don't like it, we just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we plug it as we're supposed to do. It's a fair game. You know, you, you give quid pro quo. So we'll give them a plug at the beginning and at the end of the show. And then we'll talk about Everything else they've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's how we dodge, we duck and weave around that. <laughs> but and we try to avoid that your, when we can. You you've got your things about not being friends. Well, I learned a long, long time ago when I came out to Hollywood and started working for Entertainment Tonight in the early eighties. You can read about the early eighties. It's online. <laughs> Google it. Uh, but I was there. <laughs> And it wasn't a great decade. Anyway, uh, people are nostalgic for a decade. I'd rather sort of sweep under the under the carpet. I was born in the eighties. It's not all bad, I guess. <laughs> you solemn nod. Your eighties weren't that bad, man. No, 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 no. no. The, hi- the highlight was Jesse coming along. That was yeah, the, yeah. Was the yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. the pinnacle yeah. of the decade. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I I learned pretty early on, and I had a few wise people set me straight. I couldn't become friends with these people. Mm-hmm. And there were opportunities where I could have pursued it, uh, where I, you know, uh, where we hit, it, we really did hit it off, and we might have had you know coffee afterwards. We might have seen each other in some social setting. I, I don't do it. Mm-hmm. It is too awkward. Mm-hmm. Roger Ebert always claimed he had no problem with it because 
he used to do the reviews all week long and then fill the entire Sunday Chicago Sun-Times, one full page, with interviews. Mm -hmm. And he claimed not to have a conflict with that. I, I don't know how that how that worked, but it, he, he made it work for him. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how you would do it either. I mean, it's it's one of the sort of the issues we would have if we were to ever to like suddenly befriend a, a director in Hollywood and everything. I mean, yeah. I guess we sort of have, right? But right. I think they kind of know the ones that that get what we're doing. Yeah. In fact, they've they've called it out, you know, uh, specifically saying that, you know, I'm so glad that they did this. This was hilarious. That kind of thing. And those are the people that that you would want to have more right. of a, like a working relationship with, like, or even personal. They're almost begging us to do the, <laughs> yeah, the videos yeah, yeah, on yeah. there, but uh, yeah, that's few and far between. What other questions you guys got? I know I've got a million. But. I one I thought of on the way down because we're interviewing Leonard Malton and his daughter, and I love both it's of you. Leonard Malton, but this band is like a it's, hero to me, and so I don't want. I just like you, I don't want to ask the Serpico questions. I don't want to ask the. But you can't. Go ahead. I never. But I thought Serpico. of one. I don't think. You get, <laughs> I don't think you get this all the time, which probably means you do. I want to know what are some Molten family movies. Like my family watches White Christmas together every year since I was born, every Christmas season. We're Jewish, so we're not allowed to do that, actually. <laughs> well, no, only kidding. I'm, just, I'm, just <laughs> I'm not suggesting she's White having, Christmas should be she's your having movie. a go at you. <laughs> but, but what are your go-to Molten family movies where you sit down together and enjoy them on an annual, semi-annual basis? Well, there's th some qualifying things, not a simple answer. Okay. Jesse and her mother, my wife, Alice, are crazy about the birdcage. Mm. Ooh, I love that movie. That's a brilliant <laughs> Crazy film. beyond description about the birdcage. They quote from it all the time. And anytime it happens to be on channel surfing, they're there. They're going to stop and watch. Guess who's not coming? <laughs> not a big fan. <laughs> I, no, I don't, I don't dislike the movie. Uh, and I love Robin Williams. I love Nathan Lane. Hank Azaria, you know, it's Mike Nichols. With blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You won't watch it when we watch it. No, I don't. You're the worst. I don't. I That's all right. That's all right. I tend not to. Are there any that all three of you do enjoy the same? Seven Brides for Seven Brides. Oh, oh that's wow. great. Wow. That's a great one. The honest answer is we don't have family movies, really, because we don't watch movies together that are not for work a lot. Sure, sure. We mm. don't really have a lot of time. That makes sense. And so, but it's funny. I've had people say that to me. What did you all watch together? And I'm just like, <laughs> like we we go to screenings together all the time. Okay. Um, it's usually trading off. It's right. either that neither my mom or I want to see it, so we like draw straws, or we all want to see it, and then my dad has to. Um, my mom always complains about being a plus one, but I remind her that I'm a plus two, <laughs> and now my poor husband's a plus four. So it's a. But uh, Jesse and I have an interesting history. In one area, which is from the time she was an adolescent, mm -hmm. we've had the misfortune of seeing inappropriate movies together. Oh. Oh. Uh, where I mean both of us feel really awkward. Oh. I'm thinking about this, and I don't know. Why okay. did you ever even start doing this? There's, mm -hmm. stuff, there's stuff like Titanic. Which is your more sort of basic situation mm -hmm. of my mom and my dad on either side of me and I'm seeing a sex scene. Uh, not <laughs> ideal. 
Then you get a little bit more complicated with the South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. Oh, yeah, where, that's, that's uh, where complicated. Satan is pulling out, you know, hot <laughs> yeah. dogs. Satan and yeah. Saddam Hussein are pulling out yeah, hot dogs. Okay. You go, you know, you go to there, and then and then someone thinks it's a good idea for us to watch Pedro Almodovar movies oh, as a family. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. and right. I'm not saying you've made terrible life choices, but <laughs> maybe not the best thing for us to watch as a group. Right, right. <laughs> Twelve years old, watching talk to her, sitting uh, between my parents, uh, trying to figure out how I can become one with the seat. Yeah, and just disappear. talk to her is not a comfortable family movie. No, that is for certain. No, no. Um, uh, but no, we, we across the board. If there is a movie with nudity in it, sex, you name it, we will end up seeing it together. And we've gotten really good. I was going to say, don't you build up some kind of like desensitization to that eventually? Yes, and we're pretty. <laughs> we're pretty. When it's happening, we're really good at this. Each of us uh, adopts tunnel vision. Yeah, we yeah. don't exist. It's like being other. at a urin- urinal, like yeah. in a, a row. Uh, okay. We just don't. We don't. No, there's nothing else. Horse blinders. Um, and then we're really good uh, at when people, because everyone likes to bring it up. Afterwards, they'll be like, "Oh, that's got to be awkward," and we're like, "No, why would that be weird that we just watched a threesome together?" That's, yeah. that's totally, that's totally normal. Uh, Bruno, the movie Bruno. Oh wow! Uh, uh, when the penis is close up and says Bruno oh, on it, yeah. my dad leaned over and goes, "Every fucking time." <laughs> <laughs> so we've had it happen a lot. We just, we're just we're cursed. Stupid, yes, we're cursed. Like, oh yeah. There are worse oh. curses in life, but no, yeah, sure. It's pretty I bad, though. I'll be no, honest. I, I, bad. I, I wouldn't want to watch most movies with my mom <laughs> oh, yeah. no, or yeah, any children yeah. I might one day have. Yeah. Uh, no. My my brother is one thing. That's but I, I like I've sat through some uncomfortable things with my father. My father in law and I were big movie buddies, and so like we went and saw The American. <laughs> that movie doesn't even look like anything that should have nudity. Right. But not only is there a sex scene, it's like five straight minutes <laughs> long of pure grunting. And at some point, I'm just like, I'm married to this guy's daughter. How can either of us be normal from here on out? I don't remember if I told you this when you had me on your podcast, but uh, a life highlight for me was sitting watching uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, sitting between my parents. Oh, no. And mm-hmm. when Jason Siegel comes uh, onto, and he's, he's naked, and you see his, his penis, and my mom leans over and goes, look, Jesse, he's Jewish. <laughs> and that's one of those, like, see, you, you guys are missing the, the, the final part of the trifecta of Malton, my mother. And you, everyone who meets my mother loves my mother. She's hysterical. Oh, um, but she's definitely that guy who would, say exactly that and scar me for the rest of my life sounds like she needs to be on a podcast honestly she's been on ours has she yeah and she's pissed we haven't asked her back oh well bring her on you can fix that we'll bring her on on you guys want to stay a family right Mm -hmm. oh yeah so i was watching the youtube video of your interview with george lucas uh Uh, i guess when the special edition of star wars the original trilogy yeah in 95 oh by the way that was that was the first movie i ever built in the theater, in projection, was wow. oh, yeah. Star Wars, the reissue in 90, New Hope or? 97, 98, whatever 97. year. 97. That was the first movie I ever built. Because they did it, did they do it all within the same year, all three yeah, of them? Yeah, it was January, February, March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, one of Jesse's classmates was the daughter of, of Bill Mechanic, who was then running 20th Century Fox. Hmm. And so Bill and I would sit next to each other at their soccer games and base, basketball games and such. And Bill was and remains a very candid guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's, uh, if you're a reporter covering the industry, film industry, 
you go to call him because mm. you're going to get a quote on any topic you bring up. And he will be absolutely, fearlessly honest. And uh, Fox, in spite of all that had happened from the original trilogy, when they reissued them, they still didn't think they were going to do that hot. Really? Yes. (laughs) They were actually taken aback. They couldn't believe the numbers they got the first weekend. (laughs) They questioned, oh, maybe we could still stagger the release a little more, <laughs> drain a few more dollars out of this. They, they, they just didn't get it. They were huge, weren't they? Oh yeah, they, oh, yeah. yeah. In a January, February, March release, well, right? Sure, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I think uh, New Hope did better than all the other ones, mm. but uh, well, that's interesting. Was it was it that relationship that that kind of set up that interview? Because no. that's a that's a long form. No, no, that, that, that was too. a different uh, time frame. Oh, okay, what did you get out of that? Because watching that now. And I guess we've kind of gotten used to Lucas as this, you know, mythical figure. Yeah. Very aloof in that interview. Very kind of monotone. Is that what you got from it, too? I was just interested in what he had to say. I, I was, I'm asking about an interview 20 years old. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's an important one. It's the one that I get asked about all Oh, really? The time. Oh, hmm. not asked about. I, it's brought up to me. Oh. I can almost tell when it's coming. <laughs> it's usually somebody 20-ish, 25-ish. Mm-hmm. If they come up to me and they say, you know the first time I ever saw you? And I'll say no, knowing what the answer is. <laughs> I used to watch you interview George Lucas on those original cassettes oh, wow. of Star Wars. They sold 25 million cassettes. Yeah. Wow. Really? I had them. <laughs> a lot of people do. Yeah. It's the only VHS they've kept in yeah, many because cases. Because they've never I, – I had a nerd friend explain this to me. They've never – Reissued the films. It's the only time uncut. that, they, yeah. like, I guess th- those the first are the only and last time pure those are the, versions. the exact versions that played in theaters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so they had that silver it. box set. There yeah. was a silver and a gold, the widescreen and the. But you're forgetting the other version of what people say, which is, I used to have to fast forward through you all the time to watch mm-hmm. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Was it at the beginning? That's, yeah. Yes. Oh, really? So that, But that's my favorite. I love it because there's, it's so honest. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God. People come up to me, oh my God, I love your dad. I had to fast forward through him to watch Star Wars. I'm like, thanks. That no, was a- I was uh, I was very pleased with, uh, with, I thought he was very responsive. Mm-hmm. No, he, and, went, and, he went on. You know, yeah, and articulate. Mm-hmm. I talked to him for over an hour and a half. Oh, really? And they cut them into seven minute segments. <laughs> oh, wow. And at the time, he was not that readily available for interviews. Mm. It was it was more of an event having an interview with him anywhere in any in, you know in any medium. And I said to the people at Fox Video, put out a cassette of the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. He, nothing he said was dull. Mm. It was all interesting. And I'm not a Star Wars fanatic, right? But I found everything he said interesting, and they wouldn't do it. It is very interesting to watch that now where he's teasing the upcoming. He's like, yeah. maybe by 98, 99, we'll be getting another Star Wars story. You asked him if he wanted, if he was interested in directing anymore. Of course, he ended up directing the, the, yeah. the prequels and everything. Yeah, it's just so fascinating seeing that from this lens because I saw one that was, that was all condensed together, those, yeah. those seven-minute segments. And, you know, you switch positions and things like yeah. that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the way that he, he kind of explained this was, as he said, very interesting. But it also seemed just kind of, you know, like he was, pardon the pun, on a different planet. You know? Well, uh, George is not a, uh, a cuddly, <laughs> warm, fuzzy type of guy. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, he's very bright, needless to say. 
and he uh, and, and he loves talking about his work. Mm. You know, you don't have to you don't have to push too hard. Get him to talk about his work. But and, we uh, have seen him be cuddly. We've seen the two. Oh yeah, there are two people in the world who can make him that way. His kids. Ah. Katie is, I think, my age or around my age. Well, I teach at USC, mm -hmm. uh, Georgia's alum, uh, alma mater, rather. Mm -hmm. And this is the alma mater for whom he wrote a check, now maybe 10 years ago, for $175 million. Wow. They went back and rebuild. asked for more, by the way. No, yes, they did. That didn't, that didn't cover the expense. They got more. <laughs> but he completely all I rebuilt. All a million, George. That's he, all I need. He rebuilt the campus the, the, really? for the School of Cinema. And Not the whole campus. Right, right. The cinema. The cinema. <laughs> should be the whole campus. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. And, he, yeah. and when asked why, the, the New York Times asked him why he did and he said because uh, cinema still isn't taken seriously as an academic you know, mm -hmm. uh, field by most universities. And the one thing universities respect is money. Yes, mm -hmm. that is very true. And uh, that's why he wanted to you know, put on a good show, build an impressive place, which he has done. And, uh, uh, you know, it shows incredible loyalty. Yeah. And it shows incredible foresight to want to pass something along to the next generation of uh, filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And he comes down, like he comes down a lot to the school yeah. uh, for fundraiser stuff right. and they'll do events. He comes down. So he really, he puts his money where his mouth is. Like so, he, he is there for hmm. the school. So one night we have a break before I show new movies and have the filmmakers, some of the filmmakers there afterwards for Q and a, oh, okay. and we have an opening section of the class. It's a long night. And then there's a break. And one night during the break, a nice young girl comes over to me to introduce herself. And because I have like 350 students, mm. don't get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. She says, uh, hi, my name's Katie. I said, hi, Katie. Nice to meet you. She said, I think you know my father. I said, really, what does he do? She said, he's a filmmaker. <laughs> I said, what's his name? She said, George Lucas. <laughs> so that's his daughter, Katie. <laughs> and she's she's... She's lovely and she's very bright and, and yeah, all the good things. But the first time that we ever saw George really smile, because in photos he just doesn't normally smile. Yes. Yeah. Um, the first time, I don't remember what what event it was at USC that he was there for. It was a night Alex was part of putting all that stuff yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it, it was. was. In the gallery there. It was. It, I'm trying to think if it was like the TV stuff. They, the USC does a lot of really, really cool uh, exhibitions. Exhibitions. And he was there for one of them. And I saw him look at Katie and he smiled, hmm. like really smiled. And I just totally had that moment of he looked at her like a dad looks at his kid. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my heart. And I suddenly like everything made sense a bit. That's he went, fascinating. Okay, so there is a different thing we don't get to see. And then we, and then we met him with his wife. At Sundance. And uh, he got to interview on stage George Lucas and Robert Redford. Oh, oh wow. You know, yeah. at, like was... you do. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the best part was backstage before. Backstage was the highlight of life. Where they were very loose and very relaxed. And we met his wife, Melody, who was a, was a pretty remarkable Hilarious. woman. She's a, she's a financial whiz. Yeah. Whip smart. Yeah. Like, you get it. And she showed us. So, first of all, just watching, in the same way people like, they think it's funny the way that my dad and I are because obviously you look at my dad with reverence mm -hmm. and a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. 
um, understandably so. It's still my dad, so I will put bunny ears on him. I can do all the things that I think other people might want to do, and I can just do whatever I want. Um, And it was a similar kind of vibe watching them, which is that that's his wife. So she's not going to take any of his BS. Like, there's not, you know, so she's just calling him out on stuff, and and they're making fun of each other. And that was wild. Then she showed me, at that time, their, their, their child was probably like a year, little, little guy. Infant. And she showed me this photo of the two of them in bed with the same crazy bedhead, mm-hmm. like matching. Mm-hmm. And George and, was sleeping. And, no, they'd just woken up. Because oh, what, what I remember about it is that they look the same and it's so cute. Mm. And it was another one of those, like, this is not real. Like, I'm seeing a, this photo of, like, George in PJs with his infant <laughs> child. Um, but that that was really special to yeah. see him kind of. That's a side that you just don't yeah. see from. He's always yeah. been he's always been very nice to me. Oh yeah, always always very very nice. I've wow. never seen him be rude to any. Honestly, I've never seen him be rude to anyone. Huh. He's just very firm. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't want to do an interview, he's not doing it. If he doesn't want to do something, but but frankly, I get it. You yeah, know? Uh, he's he, like, yeah he's got a big empire. That's the thing. Again, pardon <laughs> the pun. Too well, easy. Yeah, I know. but <laughs> I mean, but he's that's had it. to deal with both sides of it. I can't even imagine, honestly, because I deal with point zero zero one percent of it in terms of like social media, of course, love and hate. Mm. You know, he's the man that created Star Wars, and we <laughs> love him. And then he's the man that directed the prequels, and at least a certain fan base has decided to hate him for that, or he ruined such and such, or. Same guy. You really yeah. think he wanted to have those three movies not be good? Yeah. You really yeah. think he wanted yeah. them to disappoint yeah. you? <laughs> I mean, so just he's taken it all from all directions yep. his whole life, and I, I, I can't even imagine what that must be like. So yeah. to be even smiling once for any reason <laughs> is like a good thing. I think. How do you smile? Right, but that's it. He's he's very. Uh, you know, it's kind of like that thing of someone gets called a diva. Yeah. And some people are, and some people are jerks, but some people are just very f- firm. Yep. Mm. And they tell you what they want and how they want it. And to me, there is a difference. And if you're polite about that, then you do you. Well, yeah, uh, and there's a certain kind of person like a George Lucas who has more than earned the right to yeah. be particular yeah. about he, what he, he can't is walk and isn't down the street. Do. He yeah. cannot walk down the street. That was part of it was that, like, they have to ghost him in and out of everywhere. Right. And you get it. And some people are screaming, you know, is he going to come out and do you know, sign autographs and take pictures? It's like, no, because then he'd never go home. I've often said stuff like, but <laughs> I know? feel bad for Taylor Swift. She can't just go out for a Starbucks without becoming, like, front page news on TMZ. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, yeah. I've derailed us. <laughs> what, is, what is this class and what do you show there? I inherited a class. I inherited a class that George Lucas took. Oh, really? When mm. he was a student. Wow. Ron Howard took this class. Uh, a lot of interesting people took this class. It was started about 1960 by a then very prominent film critic named Arthur Knight, mm-hmm. who wrote the first one-volume history of film called The Liveliest Art, which came out in a paperback, and it was everybody had this book. Hmm. I think I was in high school. Uh, it was the only book of its kind. Hmm. Just a you know a really good solid compre- concise but comprehensive history of film. Arthur went to USC and said, "You know you're you're here in the middle of, of Hollywood. Why aren't we inviting movie makers to bring their current films down to down to campus?" And so that's what they started doing. When he started doing that, Alfred Hitchcock was still making movies. Mm. 
but so is John Cassavetes. Mm-hmm. And he had them and everybody in between. Wow. Uh, and so it was very popular. And it had a terrible name, Theatrical Film Symposium. <laughs> it still has that name. <laughs> we've never come up with a better one. Uh, but it, no it was one known uses it. In the old days, people called it Thursday Night at the Movies. Uh-huh. And then for years, people just call it and still call it by its course number, which is 466. Mm-hmm. And if you meet anybody from USC who's been in the film department or even just around, and you say, uh, just take 466. Oh, yeah. Uh. So he taught it. Arthur taught it for many years. Then he retired. It was taken over by Charles Champlin, who was for many years wow. the lead critic of the LA Times oh. and kind of a cultural ambassador mm-hmm. around town. Very uh, uh, classy guy, very genteel. And uh, he did it for quite a long time. And more interesting people took it. And then they then he retired. And they hired somebody to take his place who it turned out was having personal issues involving alcohol. And that was a disastrous semester. It was the fall. So over the uh, holiday break, the associate dean of the school at the time, Rick Jewell, a wonderful guy, took me to lunch and wooed me hmm. to see if I would come in in January for the new semester and take over this class. And I said, well, flattered i know that's a famous class i said i just don't know if i have the time Mm. he said you don't have to grade papers you don't have to book the films or the guests we have somebody on staff will do that uh you don't have to attend faculty meetings i said (laughs) (laughs) he he essentially essentially put it pretty plainly he said we just need you there thursday night that's what we need i said well i'll give it a try and 20 years later, I'm still doing it. Wow. In the interim, I do I do get involved in the booking of the uh, films and the guests with a wonderful guy who's on staff who does all the heavy lifting in that area. Mm. But every now and then, I have a connection that I can use to help seal the deal. Or I've seen a, a film he hasn't yet, and I said, I'd love to show that. So we, we collaborate. And... Um, so it's teaching at its best. Mm-hmm. And though I, I regret not having more of a relationship with my students because it's such a large auditorium. Sure, I'm sure that's a very popular <laughs> course. It, it, it is a very popular course. <laughs> I was going to say, what degree do they give to the person who just takes that course over and over and over <laughs> and over Because that would be me. I've had some students who have taken it three times. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what's crazy is because it's semester by semester – He's got like 700 kids a year yeah, and 20 years. So everywhere we go, everywhere we go, Professor Malton, Professor Malton, Professor Malton. It's wild. Anywhere we are, someone comes over and says, Professor Malton, I took your (laughs) class in 1998. I took your class, you know, whatever it is. Professor Malton, Professor Malton. I had an idea first semester. Because I showed uh, Alfonso Cuaron's remake of Great Expectations. I love yeah. that movie. Barrett loves that you know, movie. To yeah. That. And, uh, terrifying. Uh, that film is terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. And I said to my class, which was jam-packed that semester, I said, all right, just just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the classic 40s version of Great Expectations I love that. by David Lean? Yeah. Five hands went up out of 350. Wow. Five. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> what am I going to do? So I decided uh, what I would do is on the last night of class, I would have an old film and a guest from the old film. And I knew exactly who I wanted right away. 
This is spring 1998, and I was I had already been friendly with Gloria Stewart before she was cast in Titanic, the old Rose, and uh, because I was a fan of her from her 1930s movies. She's in The Invisible Man with Claude Rains. Mm. She worked for James Whale twice in that, and in uh, The Old Dark House with Boris Karloff. Uh, she worked twice for John Ford in mm. the 30s. Had a very interesting career. Really s- intelligent, well-spoken woman. And she said, sure. So I called Universal and I said, do you have a good 35-millimeter print of John Ford's Air Mail, mm. which was her fourth movie, 1932? He said, we just restored it. How did you know? <laughs> wow. I said, I didn't know. I was hoping. <laughs> and they, so if I was going to show them an old movie, it had to look good. Yeah, yeah. Dispel any ideas that old black and white movies look you know, kind of crummy. Hmm. Perfect print. She came. We showed the film. First, I set up the film and introduced it, tried to put it in context. This is not a great film, <laughs> not a classic <laughs> film. It's a well-made film, good storytelling. And they liked the film. And then there's Gloria. <laughs> this is 1998. Mm-hmm. We've just seen her in a 1932 movie. Mm-hmm. So I interview her first for a little while, and I open it up to questions. Well, they didn't even know what to ask. <laughs> Finally, one girl said, uh, so what did you think of your performance? She said, oh, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> she said, I was training for the stage. I was not prepared to work in film at all. I didn't know how to work to the camera. Uh, let's face it, she said, they just, they just hired me because I was pretty. <laughs> wow. Where are you, you going to hear that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From somebody, you know. What movie did you watch with her? It's just the two of you. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Well, it's such an obscure movie. No, no, no. But it was it's because I'm remembering the comment. Was, There's old fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that he yeah. got to watch a movie. Yeah. She's very self-effacing, obviously. Yeah. And that's that was her reaction to seeing herself on screen. There's mus- old fat ass. It was a musical ass. called I Like It That Way. Huh. Oh, okay. Obviously. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, oh, she was terrific. Uh, terrific. She was at your bat mitzvah. I know. Yes. <laughs> oh. And... Uh, she, I, I really enjoyed our friendship. That was very special. So they, they had an experience, my students. Yeah. The next semester, I showed Ernst Lubitsch's To Be or Not to Be, one of my favorite movies with Jack Benny and Carol Lombard. And the leading man is a young, young Robert Stack. Oh, really? Mm. And, of course, everybody knew him from TV, from doing that crime show he right. did. Yeah, and <laughs> commercial, Commercials that he did. And, uh, and he was a delightful man. He was... Very lighthearted and funny, the opposite of everybody he played on screen. <laughs> Always yeah. a stern, sober-faced guy until they put him in airplane. Right, you know. Oh yeah. And uh, anyway, he was delightful, wonderful. Uh, so I kept doing that for a while. Then I kind of ran out of interesting films and people who were available and alive. But I had two unforgettable nights. One was with Sidney Poitier. Yeah. Wow. Who. Didn't want to show any of the racially provocative movies. I wanted to show uh, the uh, one with Tony Curtis, the defiant ones. Mm-hmm. No, no. He wanted to show something more benign. So we showed at his request to Sir With Love, mm-hmm. oh, wow. which is a very entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone enjoyed it. And then there he was. There's the man. And what's funny is he he doesn't really – like to talk about his movies. He doesn't have, he's not an anecdotal guy about those movies. Hmm. But what he does like to talk about is his journey. Mm-hmm. And that's what he started to do. And you could hear a pin drop. Wow. Hmm. He had that class in the palm of his hand. 
It was fa- – and then afterwards, stayed, shook hands with every student who wanted to meet him, uh-huh. gave his undivided attention, a class act. A, l- a lot of guests do that. A lot of the guests will stay and yeah. the kids will line up and ask questions and they're – I mean for the most part, they're really generous with their time and yeah. – yeah, they're not allowed to ask for autographs or photos because oh, we got to take this class. That's hey, not. No, right? Seriously, I need to <laughs> you know? audit this thing. Pro- not appropriate to a classroom. Yeah, right. Even no, though, though, you w- one night when we had uh, you had Orlando Bloom and Mark Ruffalo, they started saying, "Did you want a photo? Did you want a photo?" And <laughs> oh. suddenly, like for oh, miles, yeah. the other, the, uh, the the last person I had in that sort of theme of old movie and uh, older performer was Angela Lansbury. Oh, oh my God. Who had been willing to do it for years, but things kept getting in the way. Finally, finally, I got her, and I showed Frank Capra's State of the Union, mm. which is a film with uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Wow. And the third lead is a, an impossibly young Angela Lansbury, who o- always played older than she was. Right. <laughs> yep. She was like 23 when she made really? this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she got her first Oscar nomination for Gaslight, when I think she was 20 or 21, something oh, like wow. that. I may be off. Don't hold me to these <laughs> facts. We'll fact check. I need a yeah. fact check on this. Uh, she came and she too, just incredibly candid and forthcoming. She talks without hesitation about her uh, her son's problem with drugs mm. and how she decided to deal with it, which was to move her family to Ireland. Mm. She felt that L.A., you know, even the, the, the tonier part of L.A. was just not healthy. Hmm. And he, he'd fallen into this uh, drug, you know, uh, uh, problem. So her kids went kicking and screaming to, to Ireland where they bought a castle. She and her husband bought a castle. And they did straighten out their lives. And her wow. son ended up directing some episodes of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yep. And... Uh, and so she she talked about all this. Wow, this is a famous person, yeah, telling pretty you know pretty candid stuff. So again, I interviewed her. Oh, I showed, I asked the kids at the beginning of the class. I call them the kids, my students. <laughs> uh, they're most of them twenty somethings. And I said, all right, how many people know? I said, this is not a test. How many people know who Angela Lansbury is? Every hand went up. I said, this is from Murder She Wrote, probably right. <laughs> they said, yeah, no, 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 no. BAFTA, the British Academy of Film and Television, had done a tribute to her and put together a terrific five-minute sort of career reel uh, with baby pictures and, you know, tracing her life. And at one point, they had from a TV special her standing in front of an orchestra singing Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of it, it transitions to the the animated film where she's Mrs. Potts. And... You heard from my class, <laughs> like like this, like a like a wave, and it's like oh, they didn't realize that's the same. Okay, good. So when I opened the evening to Q and A, and took and again they didn't quite know what to ask, and one girl sitting like in the last row of this big auditorium says, "Could you sing Beauty and the Beast?" <laughs> oh wow! Now I'm about to I'm about to say. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, it's late at night, and, you know. And, yeah. And she's 81, <laughs> and you, you just can't do that. Something in me, shut up. Mm-hmm. Something in me said, just shut up. And Miss Lansbury said, oh, I couldn't. 
well, all right. <laughs> and she sang the first couple of lines oh a cappella, and the place went wild. Yeah. They went crazy. And then afterwards, she, like Mr. Poitier, stayed and shook every hand and gave several minutes of undivided attention. To, she asked each one, what, what is your major? What do you hope wow. to do? I cried. You know. I just cried. I was like, I love you so what, what, what can you say? Oh, you know? man, that's that's awesome. amazing. Those are amazing moments. It oh, comes wow. to show how meaningful movies are in general, that they that a whole classroom can just go wild based on just a few notes of a song. And that's why I feel like stuff like your podcast, and anytime I see hear any kind of podcast – intimately getting into an actor's head or a director's head or anything that's what we're all here for that's what we want to hear we want to hear all these great stories we want to you know uh have them sort of uh you know reminisce on movies that we've watched a million times and everything and that's why i enjoy listening to the podcast and that's why that that class is so popular is because they have a chance for something like that happening I mean, you brought up two moments. I'm sure there's students who could bring up 10, 15 moments oh, that yeah. they would consider yeah. that that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just showed A Quiet Place a few weeks ago, <laughs> and I had I had the composer, I had the sound designer, oh. and the two sound mixers, as well as two of the producers. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound very glamorous. First of all, that's a lot of guests. Normally, yeah. normally it's one or two, sometimes three. This yeah. is six. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. It of doesn't people. sound glamorous, but for that film, mm-hmm. yeah, for a quiet place, which two of you haven't seen, sound is crucial to the success of that film. The way they integrate the score with natural ambient sound, the way they decide when to emphasize sound, when to de-emphasize sound. There are moments of silence in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all matter. Yeah, They all really matter to the success of that film. So they were wonderful guests, very articulate and very forthcoming. And uh, it, was, it was a terrific night. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, those guys become sort of stars of, on their own at that point. because Yes, they do. And, of course, the, the class, you know, they don't know what to expect sometimes. Neither do I in some cases. Mm-hmm. But um, I learned very early that sometimes the behind-the-scenes people, not the ones you expect, not the writer, not the director, not the producer, not the s- screenwriter or the uh, cinematographer, those are the obvious sort of you know core people, but some of the other people, have the best stories and the most interesting experiences. I had a prop master one night, one of the best known prop masters in the business when we showed uh, Memoirs of a Geisha. And she talked about her whole, I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff. She said, every day, I said, what what are you responsible for? She said, everything that isn't a costume or a set. So for instance, they're uh, they're fans, the, the, the laced intricate fans that the women use. Uh, those are all barcoded. <laughs> they check them in, wow. they check them out. And she has to, she has to implore the cast, please, I'm responsible for these. Treat them carefully because they're all inventoried and we, I'm responsible if anything gets hmm. lost or broken or somebody walks away with it. Uh, she, she had so many interesting stories. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, 
not the likeliest subject on the surface of it, but there she was. Mm -hmm. A lot of the sound people you've had in general, like a lot of the different sound folks, yeah. they've been fascinating. Just explaining how they get a sound and how much work they'll do to get the sound. Yes, yeah, Foley cool. uh, artists will go the extra mile. It's nuts. fascinating. Uh, and that's the other part of the class's history, Ben Burt. Oh, wow. Ben Burt not only took this class and uh, projected for this class from the booth, but used the sound of the motor for one of the 35 millimeter projectors as one of the components of the lightsaber. Oh, oh. the sound of a lightsaber. So there are people who will come and they're just like, where is it? Where's the projector? Show us the projector. And they get yeah. so excited to see it. Oh my gosh. So, and we've got a projector. We've got the whole, and, and there's the projectionists. They really care. Yeah. Uh, we've had lots of really, really lovely people who work with the work with my dad at class. All right, everybody, it's time to talk about Mubi again. Mubi. We've been talking about this for a while because it's, uh, it's a pretty awesome service. Yes. And uh, we recently just saw another great movie that was on this. What, did, what, what was one okay. that you just saw? Okay. I saw a great movie mm -hmm. on, on Mubi, M-U-B-I. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's called Fish Tank. Yeah. And this is uh, Andrea Arnold. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a British movie from 2009. I, honestly, I had never heard of this movie before. Yeah, me either. Um, and it blew my socks off. We actually have Leonard and Jesse Malton with us today. And I, I asked them, and they've seen this movie too, what were you guys, what was your opinion of this movie too? Well, uh, It's a knockout. It's, it it's a very striking film. And it's the first time I ever saw Michael Fassbender. Really? Mm -hmm. It's one of the only times I think he's actually played Irish. Hmm. Like, you know, because he's always got yeah. different it's, acts. It's one of his first feature yeah. roles yeah, right because he was on band of brothers career, yeah. but yes. yeah well this so uh, that was that was a little confusing to me because it came out in 2009 and he had been in 300 and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. before then but this might be the first time we saw him like in a real actory type mm -hmm. role yeah. and everything so uh and yeah he's very very good in this he's electric and this is it's yeah. not an easy movie to watch no. uh no. but it is powerful and she this makes, she makes tough movies yeah 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 i actually um I hadn't seen um, American Honey. Have you seen Red Road? Uh, no, but uh, yeah, I, I hear it's, it's kind of similar themes and everything. And the main actress, the the girl, yeah, that Katie she picked, Jarvis, uh, was kind of plucked out of a similar situation, out of like the yeah. the projects in in London well, or yeah, outside it, in I England. I think he right? saw. I think she saw Katie on a train platform. Is that yeah. the story we heard? Yeah. Something like that. She was that. yelling at her boyfriend. Was the story that I read? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. And and she said, "All right, this is this is perfect for this." Movie. This movie reminds me. It sort of uh, foreshadows the Florida Project. It yeah. has a huh. sort of uh, a same sort of vibe to it to me. As we look at someone who's living, maybe not in poverty, but uh, lower middle class uh, and uh, having to deal with uh, just like, you know, horrible parent who doesn't want to be there right. and uh, is, you know, dating all these men. And finally, it looks like she's finally found one in Michael Fassbender that she really likes. And he seems like a really nice guy and everything. And uh, yeah, the movie uh, has some things to. Uh, yeah. It takes some takes some dark turns. Here but it's also got some just killer scenes of tenderness. I'm thinking about the the 
the picnic scene where they're yeah. out in the country, yeah. and then the fi- one of the final scenes mm-hmm. with the mom and the two daughters oh, great. that comes out of nowhere, and I'm getting chills just thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, this is an unbelievable movie. It's part of uh, what Mubi is doing with the the Cannes Film Festival or Cannes, if you will, Cannes. Um, <laughs> where they're they're doing a lot of European films and a lot of previous uh, Cannes winners and things like that. And uh, this is one that I would totally recommend. There's there's plenty more though. It's yeah. a small movie. It's a quiet movie. It's not the kind of thing that uh, if you're looking for something quick and entertaining and fun and all that, it's not that. This right. is one of those sort of you quiet and you think about it. Yeah, for that you should watch Orson Welles' The Trial, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is also on movie. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, convenient. yeah, that's right. exactly. Yeah, ex- for something really uplifting. <laughs> Watch Orson Welles' The Trial. A bucket, a bucket of good cheer. Indeed, indeed. Watch those back to back and then tell us what you think afterwards. Uh, I do like the Maya Hansen loves film, The, the Father of My Children. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting movie uh, inspired by a real life French producer, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of producer who have several projects juggling all at the same time. Along with trying to jug family time, and he's trying to be all things to all people, and uh, it's it's a another one of these films that's very provocative and thoughtful. You'll be thinking about it the next morning, uh, uh, and uh, you know. But I mean, speaking honestly, it, it's not not cheerful, right? Well, and let's. But I think- you know what? But it's thoughtful. And that's what a uh, movie is really good about this is finding a, a movie that's thoughtful, challenging, not easy, not you know, not that quick laugh, you know, right. <laughs> forgettable affair. It's something that, you, you know, you're, you're going to be confronted with stuff that you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do is expose you to new types of cinema, new directors, new genres, new, new foreign type of influences. It's just... It, it's a cinephile paradise, I think. And you, through this partnership that we're doing with Movie, you can get it for 30 days for free. Yeah. Absolutely free. Yep. Um, and then if you don't want to keep going, you don't have to. Yes. Like, but you should. But why would you stop? <laughs> you yeah. would want to. Our experience has been that it's almost addicting to the yes. point where sometimes sin writing gets put off for more movie viewing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we think that would be the case for a lot of you as well. Definitely. Uh, and, and in order to give you a taste... Mubi is giving you 30 days for free. Just go to Mubi.com slash CinemaSins. Yes. Mubi.com slash CinemaSins. 30 days free, and you, uh, you, you're going to have your mind blown at least once, I guarantee it. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind and your head and your brain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the right. trifecta. Here's a question you may get a lot. I'm not sure, but I, I feel like it's important to talk about this. But what do you think the purpose of movie criticism is? Well, there isn't too much of it anymore, right? In, in its purest form, as I think of it, I, I tend to be I tend to be a purist, uh, which makes me something of an old fogey, mm-hmm. uh, which I try not to be. I try very hard not to be, but I think film criticism, or any criticism, is establishing a standard and uh, trying to see how an individual film measures up to those standards. And part of it is taking every film on its own terms. If I go to see Friday the 13th, part 17, <laughs> I shouldn't be expecting King Lear mm. and vice versa. Mm. How, how well does this film achieve its goal? Mm. What is this film trying to do? What is it trying to be? And uh, and then I think, uh, so I only read criticism after I've seen the movie, not before. 
Right. Most people use it as a consumer guide. And there's nothing wrong about that. Siskel mm-hmm. uh, and Ebert's thumbs thumbs up, thumbs down was a shorthand. Mm-hmm. The shorthand for telling whether they liked a movie or not. Same way the Rotten Tomato score is a shorthand. Mm. But if you really care about movies, you should read people who write good essays. Yes. Mm-hmm. People who, and here, here's my point, people who will illuminate things about the movie that you may not have thought of yourself. Yeah. And those are my favorite critics, are people who do that for me. Mm-hmm. I just saw the movie. I know what I thought of it. But what did I miss? What did I not fully comprehend or understand? Uh, and uh, so I, that's what I look for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the, again, the utopian form of, of criticism. Yeah, we get the, uh, we obviously get the fast food version of everything when yeah. somebody's seen a movie and then they have to write it within whatever their yeah. time, their deadline yeah. is and everything. And I never felt like that was the true, re- the true opinion of a movie. It's basically just, you know, what you, what you have to scramble to write down a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. Whereas the true film criticism that I see nowadays that's just really interesting to read is somebody who's watched the movie like 15 times and they have really <laughs> studied it and they are going deep and philosophical about it and everything. And those are the ones that are most interesting to read. And of course, you know, critics who can who can turn it around within an hour or two, those are amazing too. But um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly what uh, you're saying there is just that uh, the... Um, you know, when you can illuminate something about a movie that nobody has been able to, they just watched it face value yeah. and didn't think of any sort of deeper meaning to it. Well, my friend Todd McCarthy, who was with Variety for like 40 years and now has been a Hollywood reporter for a little time now, I think he's, I think he's the best film critic in the country. Mm. He doesn't get recognition because he writes for the trade right. press. Mm. So he's not intended to be read by consumers. But now, thanks to the internet, you can read his reviews mm-hmm. online. Uh, and I think he's just brilliant. And one of the things that impresses me, like right now, you know, whether it be at the Cannes Film Festival or just a normal time of year where there isn't something like that, uh, putting him under the gun, he absorbs so much mm. in one viewing mm-hmm. and writes on deadline. Yeah. And these are thoughtful, perceptive reviews. And you can't believe that he turned them around as quickly as he did. It's just an innate gift, I guess, yeah. right? It is. Well, I mean, he's had a lot of, to- lot of practice, a lot of, a lot of experience. It's like yeah. Justin. Justin's similar. Justin Chang, brilliant yeah. writer. Beautiful writer. Mm-hmm. For the like, LA Times. Beautiful. Some of the most beautiful writing mm-hmm. you've ever seen. Hmm. And he took and my class, but we're not going <laughs> to. I take, I take, no. I absolutely take no credit. He did take, however, uh, a class in the Annenberg School of Journalism uh, at USC, taught by the lead critic for the LA Times, Kenny Turan, hmm. Kenneth Turan, who I also enjoy reading. Hmm. A very graceful writer uh, who, who knows his movies and loves movies. Hmm. And uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of talented people out there. But what you're saying and what you're asking goes to what you always say about your class, which is he's trying to create smarter moviegoers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That because the students are not, 
are not all film students. They come from all over the campus. And I, well, I have water polo players. Yeah, we get we get everything. <laughs> we get, depending on that's like 30% depend. of the well, class is water depend, polo. Depending on part of the year, you'll have the whole back will just be football players. <laughs> like it's 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 pretty wild. But that's what he always says is I want to make better, smarter moviegoers. And I think that sure. is what you try when you're writing. It's a lot of that. Well, and that, that is a common uh, thing that we hear from a lot of people, right, is that, uh, well, I didn't go in there expecting an Oscar winner, so I put took my brain out and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I've always found this to be a lazy um, a way of watching movies, and I don't tolerate it. <laughs> and and, uh, and whenever somebody says that about a movie, I just pulled my brain out for whatever. I was like, well, then we're hopeless then as a culture. <laughs> well, I don't, I, 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 I'm, I'll politely disagree. Okay. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with checking your brain through the door okay. for, a, for a silly movie, for just sure. a, a lightweight movie. Uh but there are good examples of that, and there are bad examples of yeah, that. Yeah, and I think I'm more along the lines of that. I, I understand that there are movies out there that you're not meant to criticize. It's the you difference know. between Airplane and Date Movie or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah. Airplane's one of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that One movie. of our students. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. you, you said escapism. Yeah. You know, escape, that, that's something that... that of the things I'm proudest of is it's exactly what my dad is talking about, that he does uh, meeting a movie at its own level. Mm-hmm. And so that does mean, in a sense, in some cases, you walk in and you say, I'm not expecting an Oscar winner. Yeah. Um, and, I don't, and I totally understand what you mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes it's like, did you have fun? Did you laugh? Did you enjoy it? Yes. Then it succeeded. Mm. Uh, They even used to make it so when I was younger, uh, the film critics had to bring their kid to see some of the kid movies. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. And there are film festivals, actually, that will still do this, Mm. interestingly enough, where if you're on a jury, uh, depending on what you're doing, like there has to be a kid. Um, And I think that uh, that had an interesting effect that I didn't know about course at the time I, wa- I watched a lot of movies through jesse's eyes when she was growing up and mm-hmm. that was very educational for me yes you know yeah. uh, i'll often ask barrett did like because he'll say oh you know captain underpants is pretty good my first question is did you take your kid yeah because <laughs> he's got a 10 year old and i know that that can impact if the 10 year old really enjoys yes. it. sure well, yeah sure definitely yeah. you you said it's like it, you start to you start to look for different things so as opposed to is the movie good, it's does it have a good message? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, does it send it send a good message? Does it are there role models in it for a young girl mm-hmm. watching this film? Yeah, uh, those those are the kind of things I was concerned about. And with our guests, some of the funniest that's one of my favorite things to ask our guests is what do you show your kids and what do they think? So someone like Ike Barinholtz was saying, I've seen the Tinkerbell movies seventeen thousand yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. But but it teaches friendship. So it's it's a funny thing to ask. <laughs> you find to ask. little but things. But that's it. You, and, and we yeah, we've had a couple of people who have brought up the stuff, whether it's obviously right now, whether it's Frozen or Moana and it's over and over again. Mm. They'll say, But what I found was this because I saw it seventeen million times. Yeah. But at least it's yeah. And I feel, I mean, I love old movies, and uh, we love, for instance, Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Not a rarity. Many people love Singing in the Rain for very good reason. But really, that's escapism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that there's, there's no uh, hidden agenda there. Mm-hmm. It's escapism. But when it's that good, when it's that solid, that well uh, written, that well executed in every way, then 
it leaves you, you, you walk out of the theater seeing that, or, you're, or, or, or if you're lucky enough to see it in the theater, you're walking on a cloud. Mm-hmm. It actually lifts your spirits. Mm-hmm. What higher praise can you give it to any piece of art right. than to do that? If it was that easy, they'd be doing it more often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not that easy. <laughs> I, uh, I I think what I want to direct that at, you know, like obviously there are movies that you go to just take your brain out. But the ones that I hear this on most are like Transformers. So like, you know, in Transformers, it's for me like the the thing that I would always hear is that, well, it's just robots fighting and blah, blah, blah. That's fine. I'm like, why does it have to be two hours and 45 minutes long <laughs> if it's just that? then can it be an hour and a half? I think I'd have more fun with it. Well, and the thing for me is, and this is, I guess this is where we lose some people who aren't fans of CinemaSins, is that sometimes our real opinions make their way into a video as a sin right alongside something we clearly don't believe. I just want a movie to make sense by its own rules. Sure. I can handle a talking toy movie, even though I know in in reality toys can't talk, ah, but yeah. but don't you break any of these rules that you set? Now, wait for a minute, wait a minute, now pull me out of yeah. it. In Baby Driver, okay, and, and we love Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. so you know. Uh, but in Baby Driver, am I wrong? At the beginning, Kevin Spacey sets up that he never works with the same crew twice. Oh yes. yeah, 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 yes, except. Later in the movie, yes, <laughs> where he, he picks, does work with the same crew. Where he picks the most volatile possible people. We purposely get. We love Edgar. We love him, and he is. Uh, he he's incredible. And I'm he a fan really of his is. work too. Yeah. yeah. This was a movie where everyone around us. It felt like Emperor's New Clothes, where everyone is like, isn't this the best thing you've ever seen in your life? And we're like, not really. That whole ending um, is ridiculous, I, there too. There were so many things. This is the, uh, That's a major pet peeve for me, is that. Is yeah. Don't tell me something. And then not only not follow it, but not follow it that much. Because I'm not, not, not going to check out my whole brain, ever. Right. But I can turn parts of it off if you tell me rules, rules from the real world don't apply in this movie. That's here, it. Here, if, you yeah. can, if you tell me people can fly, I'll go with it. Yeah. I, that's what I say it every single time. I will go with you. I will go with you whatever you tell me. And yet me. I find it strange that the the contemporary movie-going audience doesn't seem to cotton to metaphor. Mm-hmm. They'll take any kind of fantasy, the most outrageous you know, futuristic, you know, uh, idea or concept. But they're not, they're not easily warmed up to, to, you know, allegories. No, yeah, you're right. And I don't understand that. It would seem like they would go hand in hand. Yeah. Someone doesn't like the movie Inception. And mm. um, it gets him yelled at a lot. Well, we won't yell at it. But, but. One of the things you said to me as soon as you came home. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they, they've got to get the, they've got to make the kick. Got the kick's coming at twelve noon. If we don't make the kick, it's all lost. We're we're, we're screwed. It's, it's all over. Got to make the kick at twelve noon. <laughs> oh, we missed the kick. Oh, all right. Well, there's another kick coming up. <laughs> he was so mad. The, the hands down highlight, I have told my friends, because when my friends are home, if my dad comes home from a movie, they get to hear the real review, which we've often talked about how someone has to find a way to get those from him and post them separately mm-hmm. as Leonard's actual review. That's not the one that's polite. And and so what I told people for a long time with Inception, it's still my favorite. I was upstairs in my room. My parents came home. 
And this is our old house. So I could always hear when the garage door shut and it meant they were home. And I'd yell down, what did you think? And my dad yells back up, what a pretentious piece of fucking bullshit. <laughs> and he just screams it up the stairs. And Maybe I, not those exact words. Oh, oh friend. Yeah. It was those exact words. I'll never forget it till the day I die. I know, I know we don't like to let people know you curse. I know that, I know that we don't ever tell anybody that you curse like a sailor. But, um, but it was one of the funniest things that's ever happened. I and I came downstairs. And I said to him, I was like, please, please just have that be the review. Please have that be the review. Like, no, no, I have to write words. I was like, I don't think you do. I really feel like if we just put that out there, everyone would be okay with it. I read on Wikipedia, and tell me if this is wrong, but uh, the you have the shortest review of a movie ever? Guess book. Uh, apparently I do in my movie guide. Mm-hmm. And it was a reader who submitted this to the Guinness people. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, came as a total surprise to me. Uh, but I hold a record that I'm not sure will ever be broken. No. It probably it can't. I can't. I, yeah. Can't. Uh, <laughs> the, the movie's a 1948, uh, mediocre 1948 movie musical called Isn't It Romantic? Mm-hmm. Question mark. <laughs> and my review is no. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> the thing is, mind you, because you you know how the book breaks it down. So you know it's got the stars, and then it got does director, then it has you know some of the cast listed. So the best part about it to me is that it's not just like it would be on the internet where it says, "Isn't it romantic?" No, it's "Isn't it romantic?" Nineteen forty-eight. So got this whole thing of, of like detail to explain it to you, and then you get to the part where the review normally would start, and it just says no, and then it's like video available on the such. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's something I I feel like I've sort of a kindred spirit with you when I see a review that just simply says no afterwards. (laughs) Feel like that's a Cinema Sins predecessor (laughs) almost. Uh, We had a we had a reviewer here used to review for the Nashville scene named Jim Ridley, who uh, uh, when Stephen King's Thinner came out. His capsule review just said, he is? And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Sometimes you can express fully what you, what you intend to say. Brevity <laughs> yeah. can work. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You can't do it all the time. Yeah. Because no. you really like oh, no, to. No, no. Mm-hmm. And that's what I used to te- – so I – my my part of the book, what I worked on and what I was assigned were the either the teenage movies – um, cause I was the only person writing for the book that wasn't 40 and up. Mm. Um, so I got assigned all the teenage stuff and then my dad dubbed me the Rob Schneider specialist. Nice. Cause I also, <laughs> I watched all the Adam Sandler, all that kind of stuff. Oh. And, uh, and I would say to him, the hardest part of reviewing this is not what you think, which is, oh, they're all terrible. It's that a lot of them, what I wanted the review to be for most of these films, even when I would review stuff like Sorority Row or any of that is if you're here, you already know what this movie is. You don't need to be reading a review. <laughs> you know, and I, every single time I wanted to say, you don't need me to tell you what this is. Because if you're going to see Sorority Row and you want me to tell you that it's Hitchcock, <laughs> no. And and every time I had the hardest time writing up the little the little bitty summaries, writing it all up together. Because every time, every single time it was like, Rob Schneider is a stapler. Like that's well, what I wanted to write. I was about <laughs> to say, you must really love the South Park that uh, takes oh, off on so these. so good. Rob Schneider is a carrot. You know, I, I like every single time I I would come down I really struggled writing the reviews I said to him it'd be easier if I hated or loved these it's that I have no emotion for that's the most where part. I am it's yeah. that a lot of them were sort of like there are movies like The Wedding Singer is a great movie mm-hmm. it is uh, the, the Water Boy 
it holds up and it's still one of my favorite things. I even love, uh, you know, Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore Mm -hmm. in part just because of the age I was when they come out Mm -hmm. and I love them. But when you start getting into stuff like Grown Ups or Blended or whatever where he really kind of goes, he half (laughs) wants to be a family man and so he's trying to make family movies but then the other half of him wants it to be toilet humor and it's like they don't meet so 50 first dates where on the one hand you're like they're really cute together he and drew they have a really really nice chemistry the other part of you is like oh and now now there's like a whale vomiting all over (laughs) rob schneider you know and it's like it's hard and i that's every time i wanted to write if you're here you already know what's happening (laughs) by the way wasn't he good in the meyerowitz story oh yes absolutely I think everybody was was really terrific in that. I yes. still haven't seen this, unfortunately. I'm oh, a huge awesome. Noah Baumbach it. fan. It's awfully good. Yeah, and it grabs you from the first scene. It really does. It, which I think is is Adam Sandler, right? Yeah. In the car. Yeah, yeah. trying to get a parking. Space. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. And and you know Dustin Hoffman, I know has had a rough year, but that guy is still just oh, so he's, magnetic. He's just terrific in it. Yeah. Does yeah. Adam Sandler? Does he? Do you think he has to be talked into making these kind of movies? Because when he's left to his own devices with his own production crew, it seems like the same gang and the same level of effort. He's and very, then he, he comes along with Punch Drunk Love or this movie mm-hmm. where he's clearly got talent. Yeah. He just yes. doesn't care to use, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Now, well, you, you can't argue with success. No, no, you're right. You're <laughs> yeah. right. But it's, it's a, it's you know, a two-part... You, you tell him he should be doing loftier things. <laughs> you know. But it's, it's a two-part. One, one bit of it is that his production company employs a lot of people. It does. Mm-hmm. And you will hear some of them talk about the fact that they really rely on him. Uh, people like he, Alan, he, Alan Covert. And who, he is loyal. Yeah, he is. He's, he lo- a, yeah. he's, he's very loyal to his friends. Yeah. So there are people who, and I have friends who've worked with them, where it's like they'll call and say, are you doing another movie right now? And, you know, this is the thing is I do think that he's fiercely loyal. In a similar way to someone like Will Ferrell. And I think Will Ferrell and Adam Sandler are are kind of, they're kindred in that I think they're both very talented what they need is someone else's film mm-hmm. only because then I feel like there's someone there to cut them off. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell's biggest problem is someone has to say, stop now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? If he would do no. more Stranger Things or Stranger Than Fiction, everything must go. Stranger Than Fiction. Yes. Right. That's the thing. Stranger, even Stranger like, Fiction. Sorry. Even Elf. Like Elf is a great, it really is. Yeah, and he very can good sing. He can, da- he can do all kinds of stuff. He just really should not be left to his own devices. Yeah. And someone has to come in. And I just don't think that there's a no man. That's the problem. It's like I Kanye feel West. Like yeah, right. <laughs> but I feel even sometimes with the Judd yeah. Apatow stuff, I feel like it can be that way at times. No, I agree. Yeah. I like it's a bit of group. Judd Apatow himself needs a. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, that's, but that's it. Like, you almost wish that someone would just say, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to make it better. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have final say or if we can get an editor in there who is not, it's like there are some people that just can't throw anything away. And I and I get that, and we we hear this a lot with more when we're listening to Q and As. There are times when there's a movie that happened last year that we did not care for, but we were in this Q and A listening, and I started to understand why they didn't cut things out. It's because they had spent so much time, mm. and I kind of realized that's the problem yeah. is that they weren't willing to cut out. And had they done that, it would have been more successful. But I also understood there was no one there to say. I don't care if this took a hundred people and seventy thousand hours. It's not good. Yeah, and you need that. Who are we, who are we 
talking about the other day. There was a there was a direct a writer director who you said I wish that he would let other people direct his stuff. I can't remember James James Cameron maybe. No, no, I, I have a fantasy. Oh. I have a fantasy that James Cameron, who is one of the most skillful filmmakers of our generation, I won't argue with that. You know, he he, he knows how to put a film together, mm-hmm. and he has interesting ideas yeah. too. My fantasy is that when he's done writing his draft of the script, don't shoot it yet. Give it to John Sayles <laughs> and let John Sayles do a polish or a rewrite on that screenplay and then shoot that. That yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. that, that's my fantasy. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. And, and again, I say it with respect. Yeah. No, I know, yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I feel the same way about a few other filmmakers that mm-hmm. I don't probably need to name that, that just don't have a, a, a no man. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if, I, if I'm being honest, we can bring this all right back around to Cinema Sins because if Chris wasn't here to keep me in check, the videos would have 20%, they'd be 20% full of just bullshit that's not funny <laughs> that made Jeremy giggle and no one else. And Because I, I don't have that self-editing without a partner to do it for me. But see, but that's why you need people that you trust. That's yeah. the whole point of having people that you trust. When my dad, if I write something and my dad reads it and he doesn't like it, I'm not offended. I want to know why. Right. And I want to know what I could change. In the same way, I edit his stuff. And, you know, because I... And she's a really good editor. I... And a lot of times it's just because I know what he's trying to say or mm-hmm. what he's trying to get. Like, I don't really know how good I'd be at editing other people. Mm. Um, I, I help friends out sometimes. But because I know his voice so well, I know what he was trying to do and what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I can reword it and get it where it needs to go. But part of it is just that's always been how we do things is my dad will write something. It used to be he'd write it, he'd print it out. And at dinner, he'd read through it. You know, we finish eating and then he'd read it and he'd say to me and my mom, what do you like? What don't you like? And he would sit and he'd make notes. I wish my dad would have done this with his sermons all throughout my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's true. Like my dad has always been very good about asking. And I think that it takes like, I think it takes a lot of discipline, but also you can't have an ego about certain things. Yeah, you have to, I mean, you can, you got, you have people like Kanye West in this world. You have people who have, who seem to be. Uh, f- overflowing with ego who are still successful but in general yeah I think to be successful as a creative person you have to you have to start checking your ego whether you're a director a writer an actor you have to be able to be told no yep. and roll it in to what you're trying to accomplish because otherwise then you're only you're not making art mm-hmm. you're just impressing yourself with yeah. creativity and even yeah. you say if, if you if you write something and it makes Jeremy giggle that's great yeah, that doesn't make it that's, art. That's great, <laughs> but there, but that's part of it of, of understanding that that you then go, okay, that made us laugh, but is that going to make anyone else laugh? Right. And and as I say, that that's important. It's mm-hmm. important to to understand that not everything yeah. is going to work. No, it's crucial. And um, yeah, and I never see. I I didn't. I've grown up with him. I didn't know that the way he did things was different to other people. Mm. So I never realized. There are a lot of things. I didn't know how hard it was to use a teleprompter because he makes it look really easy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how hard it was to uh, to do voiceovers because he always made it look really easy. And they'd let me – I always try to give praise to the folks at Entertainment Tonight because I grew up there and they were very kind and very patient with me mm. always. And they would let me go and do anything anywhere. Mm. Always. Really? Mm. So from things like my dad would be recording in the booth, they'd let me sit in the corner. 
Oh. And it's not a big booth, but like I could just sit down there and watch him and that was fine. Uh, I go down on stage when he'd be filming and I, they'd let me, they'd put me on an Apple box and they'd let me hold onto the camera. And mm-hmm. I thought that I was definitely shooting the show. That's awesome. Um, they did all of that and they were incredibly kind. And I'm so, so, so grateful to all of them for that because they were always like that with me. Um, they still are when I see them. They Because st- I'm baby Jesse. I'm the first kid of the E.T. kids. <laughs> I was the very first one born. <laughs> so my dad was at Entertainment Tonight when he got the phone call from my mom oh, saying wow. that this is going to happen. Oh, wow. So Because he started in entertain- at, at E.T. in 82 and I'm born 86. Mm. So he was there first. And so mm. for, part of it is definitely I'm the E.T. kid, but also just kind people. Um, and they would, they would just let me go with you everywhere and, mm-hmm. and watch everything. But, but I didn't know people weren't as good as my dad. Right. And it was a real rude awakening when I went, oh, not everybody treats everyone that way. My dad treats everyone really in a very kind and respectful way. He always introduces himself when he walks into any room. He meets the crew. He says, hi, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is a human being and he acts like that. Mm-hmm. And I did not know other people do not behave in the same way. And it was a rude awakening when suddenly A lot of those went, people didn't have wow. uh, fathers as good as you did, though. I so lucked out big time. But, that's why uh, yeah, good people beget good people. Yeah. That's, that's how it tends to work, I think. Common question that you'll probably get a lot, but I'm going to have another one after that that I don't think you probably get a lot. Favorite okay. movie, obviously. Uh, but what is your um, what is also the your favorite review? Of my own? Yeah, of your own. Well, my favorite movie is Casablanca. Yeah. And it has been since I was a teenager and I first saw it on a theater screen. Oh, that's awesome. It was a Bogart revival. Wow. Uh, And uh, during the counterculture years, Mm -hmm. late 60s, early 70s, that generation adopted him as their favorite Mm -hmm. anti-hero, which, of course, he is in Casablanca. That's that's part of the appeal of the film. Uh, The enduring appeal is that he is an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, f- I fell in love with it on, at first sight, and I've never fallen out of love. And I now know more intellectually why it works as well as it does, mm-hmm. that it has uh, a magical screenplay that incorporates uh, drama, suspense, romance, comedy, music, and timeliness, mm-hmm. plus a point of view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has a point of view. And is it true that the people who made that movie didn't think they were making a good movie? No. That's not true? No, that's not true. Okay. They, they didn't know they were making a, what would become a classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they knew they were they were working with a, a great script mm-hmm. and, a, and a meticulous director in Michael Curtiz, mm-hmm. who, who could be a son of a bitch, but, <laughs> but who, who knew how to shoot film. He, and the cinematographer Arthur Edison won an Oscar mm-hmm. for his camera work on it. You know, it's it's good looking film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I I like it. I know that Citizen Kane, Casablanca, and Godfather get thrown around as the mm-hmm. number one movie of mm-hmm. most people and everything. I like Casablanca better mm-hmm. than Citizen Kane, but I mean, you know, who so cares? It's a warmer yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a warmer film. Yeah. Um, and then, what's the favorite uh, review that you've ever done? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it romantic? Yeah, just for really? yeah. Well, time. Uh, after the fact, yes, <laughs> yeah. uh, when it got all that notoriety, I did the visual equivalent of that on Entertainment Tonight one night. Uh, <laughs> they used to show me sitting in a, uh, a faux movie theater, uh, and uh, you would look over my shoulder 
at a, at a screen uh, for a clip of the movie, and then it would, the camera would turn to me and I would start to speak. The movie was Police Academy 3. <laughs> and as the clip went on, I, I stood up and went, eh. <laughs> and, I, and I walked out. Oh, I walked out of frame. So I, I, I didn't actually give it a verbal I, review. I think you did beat the uh, yeah, Guinness Book of World Records with that one because you just said, eh, and then left. I don't know if it, it was audible what I said, but the, it was really a sight gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. But, but what's the one everybody remembers? Transylvania 6, 5, Oh, 000. my God. I saw oh, this when yeah. I was eight. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I I put on the old Glenn Miller record, Pennsylvania 6, 5,000, which mm-hmm. the, the title alludes to, mm-hmm. or for those, for those anyone old enough to recognize it. And so I, I had them play that and, while well, I just sort of swayed back and forth. And then when it came to the, to the right moment, instead of, uh, they say, I said over the recording, Transylvania 6, 5,000, Stinks. <laughs> that, that, that was the entire. And I have people still come a up to me. People, a lot of people come up and go, "Do you remember when you?" Did people the, still the come up to me about that review. I, so I, I was, I was kind of proud. So good. That's, a, that's, <laughs> that, that's fantastic. I, that was one of those early movies. Uh, even as a child, I, you know, you like everything when you're eight years old. Sure, and you're and allowed. I, yeah, and I was making, I was making excuses to like that movie and everything, but there was something inside me. <laughs> That was like, was that really what I was hoping for? Like, it was such a cool title, it felt like. And then, you know, and like, uh, you know, it seemed fun, I guess. And then, like, you know, like a year later, you're like, no, that wasn't very good at all. Yeah. What uh, do you say your favorite movies are? Because that's a hard, it's always like the world's hardest question. I think we've always, we've all gone on record at least once on the podcast, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, mine is The Matrix. Yeah, yours okay. is The Matrix. I always say Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're, I, I guess you would say that's my favorite of mm. all time. Then I'm in that trifecta of Citizen Kane, Casablanca, and Godfather. I always say Godfather is my, my favorite. Sure. I got to go with 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm, yeah. That's a, such a good one. I'm just, I'm, I'm, as we say in the South, I'm eaten up by, <laughs> by Stanley Kubrick. I was watching Spartacus last night. I was watching it too. Really? What? That movie's a lot longer than I realized. It is way long. I, I, had, I haven't seen it's any of It's all hero that. shots of Kirk Douglas looking out. <laughs> man, that is so, it's such a Kubrick, a Kubrick film though, man. Like, I know. I had never really seen I, his style when I'd seen it before. It's amazing. You can see Kubrick's style transposed onto it's totally kirk douglas's movie though right oh yeah um but you can see those crane shots you know lifting up when they're training and stuff like that and those big wide shots behind uh, and you know and he was a replacement director yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he was for hire basically right yeah yeah because uh kirk douglas wasn't getting along with anthony mann who they had hired and uh so kubrick came on at the 11th hour and i don't know if there's any non-kubrick footage in the finished film i don't i i should know that but i don't Hmm. Uh, but it's uh, it's a film that he had to sort of find a way to ingratiate himself with the cast and crew, which did, was not a hundred percent successful, apparently. Uh, but uh, but the end result is is really good. Oh yeah, it's it's gorgeous, and you can see some of that in there. I think it's his last movie that he didn't write and and yeah, really yeah, get yeah. involved with. It. Um, from then on, I guess it was Lolita. Lolita, and, and and on, that, right? With, yeah. Uh, but yeah, two thousand one. As much as I love something like The Shining and Even Eyes Wide Shut and Clockwork Orange, 2001 is really the pinnacle 
uh, for for my love of him. Yeah, definitely. That's such a good one. I want to take it. movies. That's why I don't think anyone can truly pick. And and no. you, when we'll all have the categories of like, well, I guess this is my favorite, but this one makes me laugh the most, but this one makes me cry, but this one is my favorite since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paths of Glory just devastates me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an extraordinary movie. It's amazing. Um, I haven't done this, but I have this idea to watch Paths of Glory and uh, Full Metal Jacket hmm. um, almost back to back because. It's so odd to me how different those films are, not just separated by time, uh, just the perspective of it. Because Full Metal Jacket is, as we've talked about it before, is almost agnostic, right, mm-hmm. about war, and it's it's just fascinating to, to get into all that. Is there a is there a movie uh, past two thousand? Uh, can you name a few movies past the year of two thousand that you would like to recommend? I know that you just recently came out with a list of top one hundred movies in the twentieth century. It was is a that, good list. Yeah, I saw it's a it on very Twitter. good list. I think it ends at 1994 with Pulp Fiction. Maybe maybe one after that. Fargo was, was Fargo. Fargo is we, that it is. Um, uh, is there anything past the year of 2000 that you think could make that list? Yes. Yeah. I just have to think about. it. I told you I have no short term memory. Right. Anymore. Same here. Uh, okay. Well, The Motorcycle Diaries. Oh, oh wow. okay. Yeah. It's a film I really truly love. This is a, the one about Che Guevara, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. By Walter Walter, Walter Salas, Salas. Yeah. who came to my class and was fascinating. Hmm. Really? Fascinating, really yes. They, he made that journey three times. Oh, really? Wow. Once to scout locations, once to... It was a whole yeah. magilla of a thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then the third time to shoot it. Hmm. And, uh, but your two favorite directors are Jeff Nichols uh, and Alexander Payne in terms Mud. of now. Oh, oh yeah, wow. Mud is a great movie. Yeah, it is. And what's funny is when it came out in the spring of that year, uh, Matthew McConaughey was uh, hadn't had his McConaissance mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> so, I, so there I am. There I am trying to recommend this movie to people, and they'd say, "They don't say who made it. They say who's in who's in it." Yeah. I said, "Well, Matthew McConaughey," and they'd say, "Oh." <laughs> no, you remember the other reason it got turned, lost, though. It actually turned people away. But it right. got lost because it was around well, the same time as no, Dallas no, Buyers Club. No, no, Then what happened in the fall, first he did that great cameo in Wolf of Wall Street. Right. Yep. Yeah. Then he did Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. And I'm maybe forgetting something else. No, it was those two because everybody was focused on Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, right, right. Yeah. And, and so uh, mud didn't get swept up right. in that. It got sort of left behind. And uh, I will tell you this. The, during that award season, I was at some luncheon or other, and he was there. I'd never met him. Independent Spirit Awards. You and I, I put myself in his path <laughs> and and uh, said hello and shook his hand. I said, I just want you to know, Mud is my favorite movie of the year. Mm-hmm. He looked me in the eye. He said, Mud is the best movie I've ever made. Wow. Yeah. So that's, you know, now that's the work of Jeff Nichols. Mm-hmm. The only man you will hear in 21st century America say that, his uh, role model was Mark Twain <laughs> for that for that film. Wow. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Alexander Payne is one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Descendants. Oh yeah. I love uh, Nebraska. I love, I love almost everything he's done. Yeah, yeah. he's a big. I even I even show. liked yeah. Downsizing. You did? Yeah. Well, I don't think I any still of us have seen, seen it. it actually. Yeah. It's another one. We saw it in Telluride, mm-hmm. and we had no idea. It's. Alexander is one of the people my dad has become friendly with. He didn't want to, 
but they can't help it. They love each other. <laughs> and uh, and they really, when they get talking film, they're just the happiest campers. Awesome. And one of the things about Alexander that makes him who he is is he has said on more than one occasion, it's okay if you don't like the movie. Mm-hmm. And he said that to us regarding downsizing. It's mm-hmm. okay if you don't like the movie. And my dad came over to me. He goes, only Alexander. <laughs> He's the only person who would come over and say, don't worry. It's okay. It's all right. And it is. It's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's not one of his best. But it's re- in terms of talking about things that are different and interesting, yeah. this is really I find it, different. I find it very moving. And there are moments. And, uh, it's as a whole not my favorite, but the pieces I feel like are, are hmm. worth it at least. Yeah. Um, and then you love Richard Linklater. Yeah. Uh, boyhood. Mm-hmm. You like the one, um, King, not Kings of Summer. Um, Bad News Bears. No. Also a great film. Also a great film. The no, Newton Boys. No. Yeah. The Newton yeah. Boys. Might as well make another some. appearance. Oh, right? everybody, everybody wants some. some. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. A, like that, that was a lot of fun. Much. Yeah. And, uh, he only keeps me because I remember what he likes. That's right. It's the only reason. It's because I can remember she, everything. She serves a function. I do. I do. Uh, I, Th- those are your three that like. Uh, yeah, for but you, there, Jeff there are others I ought to be remembering. Yeah, no, but uh, I, Paul Thomas Anderson makers. would that be? I run hot and cold with yeah. him. Really? Yeah, I hear yeah. that. I hear I, that yeah, often. I can. I hear that a lot too. Um, I I feel like I, I would I'd have the same sort of deal with Alexander Payne if I ever got to meet him. Just <laughs> listening to his commentary on election, I that's I, I was already a fan of him. Uh, but when I got when I, I actually will watch election with the commentary sure. more than I watch it yeah. regular and like he just to ha- talking about illuminating things uh, about a movie that you didn't know about and everything he will tell you all this stuff that I never I never thought about this before and as uh, in regards to election he's talking about Matthew Broderick running around the track he's like I have this theme of circles all the way through this movie mm-hmm. people running around in circles and this is what I want uh, McCa- you know Mr. McAllister to be doing right. throughout the movie have you and I'm seen, like wow have you listened to the track on uh, Citizen Ruth I haven't oh I'd love to hear oh, that oh man it's 10 years after it was made oh wow he and Jim Taylor his writing partner and uh, Laura Dern mm-hmm. all sit down together to watch the movie after 10 years. Oh, wow. wow. And that's the commentary track. Oh, and awesome. it is fascinating. Just as Cameron Crowe did that with um, Ioni Sky and uh, uh, John Cusack for Say Anything. Oh, They wow. all hadn't seen yeah. it in something like 10 years. Wow. That's when it works. It drives us a little bit crazy when you get a DVD. And because now they have to have all these extras. It's a huge part of it. But if you just made the movie... And then you have to go in. There's going to be a couple. There'll be a few things like, oh, in this scene, you d-. it's sort of like those forced bloopers that they put mm, at the end of every yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When it's it's not a, bl- a blooper is you don't know. A blooper is not just suddenly going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it, it's funny when it's real, right. and and it can drive you nuts. But these ten year ones that you've had a chance to listen to or be yeah. a part of, they're or, really fun. Or the, the most extreme example. Uh, Steven Soderbergh interviewed Mike Nichols oh, about yeah? several of his movies, and that's the commentary track. They did them for The Graduate. They did it for oh, some wow. oh, But the one that is fascinating is Catch-22. Oh, it's 35 years after Mike Nichols made Catch-22. Yeah. Not a movie I ever loved, and I right. still don't. Right. But this conversation they have is mesmerizing. Wow. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that Nichols admits that he, he was uh, cocky, Huh. And he said, the hubris we had. He mm. said, you know, we, we, he and Nestor Almendros decided they were only shooting 
from 11 to 2 every day in Mexico <laughs> because they wanted an even light, the consistent light. He says, imagine. You know, he says it on himself. He tells it on himself. <laughs> so that's a great one. Before I, I'm trying to remember the different ones. The woman who, cre- who directed Brothers. Oh, yes. You love her. Uh, yes. Um, Susanna Beer. You love her. That film, Brothers, hmm. the original, not the American remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the American remake. The original Danish film. The real one. Which has Connie Nielsen in it. Who he loves. Uh, uh, big time. Uh, one of his crushes. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's an extraordinary <laughs> totally. film. Extraordinary film. Don't, don't, tw- don't, don't Think Twice. Oh, we love Don't Think Twice. Mike, Mike Birbiglia's film. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Great yeah, yeah. movie. Great movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who's the one that you saw on Telluride? She's the, is she Polish? Um, oh, Agnieszka Holland? Yeah, there's yeah. Agnieszka oh, Holland. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You love a lot of her stuff. Yes. Uh, you, you love Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Um, the thing I find with Guillermo is even if you don't like the movie, you will find things about Pan, it Pan's Labyrinth. to love and appreciate. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've told high, friends high who way. said that they didn't – I've had friends who've seen Shape of Water and said, I don't get it. I go, that, that you don't have to get it, but you, you must look at this. You can still see the talent. You must yeah. look at this and think, this is beautiful. Yeah. And if you don't, you're lying. Yeah. It's beautiful to look at. You don't have to – some people are creeped out. I'm a, I'm a big fan whatever. of Mike Lee. Yeah, you yeah, love yeah, Mike yeah, yeah. Lee, mm-hmm. happy-go-lucky – well, so many. so many. But I have to tell you that a couple of years ago when Mr. Turner came out, uh, friends, it was beginning of award season or middle of award season in L.A. And a friend said to me, don't watch it on a screener. You have to see this on a big screen, hmm. in a good, good size theater. And we caught the last screening in L.A. of that movie. If there were justice, not only would that movie have been celebrated, but Timothy Spall, who plays the great English painter, mm-hmm. Turner, would be an Oscar nominee for that mm. film. It, oh, it is so a, absolutely staggering performance. He's always good, mm-hmm. yeah. but this is a staggering performance. Wow. What do you think about uh, the story we hear at, coming out of Con, where uh, everybody's seen the new Lars von Trier movie, and there's a hundred well, walkouts? Well, that's their problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so you would just never go is what it would No, no, be. no. I, I like Dogtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I like Breaking the Waves. That was the mm-hmm. first one of his that I saw. Yeah. Uh, that introduced me to Emily Watson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, with Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, so I don't, I don't hate him on sight at, at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what I've read about this, and I just read sort of the first paragraph yeah. of those dispatches from Cannes, uh, it's like, you know, I think I'll live a n- nice full life without sex. Yeah, yeah. We, we do enjoy getting the emails, and he loves showing them because it's usually IndieWire. They have the best sort of headlines. Mm-hmm. You don't have to read the story. You just read the headline, and you go, okay, I, all right. Have you, ever been, was it, yeah. have you ever been at a festival and just gotten up and walked out? No. I don't walk out. Yeah. I, I have the same sort of philosophy about this. I feel like if you've gone in to watch a movie, then you're going to watch it to the end. And, yeah. Tell them, tell you know, them about Black Swan. One. All right. Tell them about Black Swan. Well, what's to tell? <laughs> Jesse and I were at Telluride, and we saw like the first or second screening of, of Black Swan. And midway through, I never look at my watch. I, I don't do those things. Midway through, we turn to each other, which we don't do either. Mm-hmm. And we both just... Our, like our jaws the, were hanging slack. The only way you could describe it. Oh yes, it was. The, it was the like producers' the audience moment. The audience in Mel Brooks, the producer. Hitler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only way you can describe the way we both looked at each other was just this. Like, are you kidding? Are is you this, kidding me? Is this real life? Went to oh. a party that night, and Darren Aronofsky shows up, 
and marches straight over to me and says, what do you think of the film? Oh, oh no. <laughs> if I can give any kind of PSA in life, someone, if they like whatever it is, they will tell you. If you have to ask, yeah. it's not a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An actor should not get every time, every time someone comes. So what did you think? If he likes it, he's going to find you. Yeah. Yeah. If he likes it, he's going to come over and say, by the way, I wanted to tell you. Great, great. Oh, job, great an un- unsung movie of oh. a couple of years ago, Ramin Barani's 99 Homes yeah. hmm. with Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield. Wow. I saw this. Yeah. <laughs> How in the hell? <laughs> I saw this. It's fantastic. It's Andrew Garfield just disappeared off the map. It had a distri- distributor who wasn't really uh, solvent, apparently, and they didn't didn't know what to do with it. The L.A. Critics, I'm proud to say, the L.A. Critics gave Best Supporting Actor to Michael Shannon. Oh, excellent! And he was uh, he was really touched. I watch anything he's in. Yeah, he's great. I watch anything he's in. I love Let's Go to Prison. I love that movie. <laughs> I, I kind of have a weird guilty pleasure with that. I'm not as well. See, we don't do guilty pleasures because mm-hmm. we're not guilty. Mm-hmm. I, so I have no oh, problem. I, I love Let's Go to Prison. I have no problem. See, with I love Naked and Afraid, but I do feel guilty about it. So that's I okay. call it a guilty that's pleasure. That's fair. That's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. No, I, I love terrible movies. Yeah. It's like I mean, one of my so favorite Sometimes things. there's the, something somehow scratches yeah, out. No, it. Every year there's a handful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's only a handful. Yeah. No. That really, really stick with me. Yeah. You do. You, and you love a lot of foreign films There are a lot that we can't remember the names of, but there are a <laughs> lot of great, again, film festival. That's why I tell people, it, look, almost every single neighborhood has a film festival now. Yeah. In your town, wherever you are, just look and see what's there. Because you can see all kinds of stuff. And we've seen so many great foreign when I, films. When I was at Telluride, I went in not knowing very little about a separation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it, it's just a, it's a film it's that just hits you in the gut. Yeah. And I haven't seen everything Oscar yeah. Farhadi has done since then, but I've seen as much as I, as I can. Mm-hmm. I've got a million questions, but we can't keep going. Yeah, yeah I think we're That's out. what dinner is for, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank the Maltons for coming in yes. here. Uh, this is uh, this is a treat for us. We don't get a chance to do these kind of interviews very often, but we're glad that you're gracious with your time and everything. We're happy to be here. We're flattered. Yeah. Happy to be here. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, all right. Well, uh, if you want to uh, go to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook or SoundCloud or Twitter or anything, you want to comment about this episode, please do. That'd be great. Bring it. Tons um, of comments on the last uh, episode. Let's tell everybody again where we can find your guys' podcast and Twitters. So our podcast is called Malton on Movies, and it's through Nerdist. It's on iTunes and Spotify, like 17,000 different places yeah. yes. I have found. Uh, so Malton on Movies. Uh, my dad is at Leonard Malton on Twitter and on Instagram, and I'm at Jesse Malton, the same places. And LeonardMalton.com. Yeah, definitely worth a, a listen. Uh, I, I listen to it all the time. We've got a lot of so great guests really, on really there. Good, yeah. Get really Thanks, down guys. deep. Uh, some, you know, I mean, some people I would never think too, like Patton Oswalt and Bill Hader, know so much about movies. So yeah. you know? much. You know, yeah. and it's like uh, it's. I, I always liked those guys, but I didn't know they were that deep into yeah, yeah. it. Oh yeah, know? they are. Yeah, so uh, go and listen to. He that brings stuff. it out of people. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. They meet him and they're so excited to just yeah. like I gotta bring up my nerd. game. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott, Barrett Share, Jesse Malton, and Leonard Malton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.
just wore her best jeans. I did. I did. It's not going to hurt his reputation. No. No, because he's smi- no, he's sweet and smiley. He's just like, what he's are you not, saying? He's not stealing a tiger from Mike Tyson. Well, I'm just saying, you know, no, no. if T.J. Miller got drunk on the red carpet, you'd be talking about a completely wow. different story. Wow. <laughs> I just was, I was trying to make sure the story wasn't going someplace scary. Otherwise like, known oh, as he, on the red he carpet. the N-word. Oh, God. Chris <laughs> <Evans>. <laughs> it sounds awesome. Chris Evans seems like the kind of guy that would just he's be like so the sweetest nice. guy in the world. What a career that guy's love, had. He's really scared and he likes to get drunk. Like he's very nervous. Captain America. That's the thing when he when he did when he was on with my dad on Douglas movies, he was just chugging beers. He was so nervous. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. And, uh, I think Ryan guy. Reynolds is supposed to be like that too in real life. Like the the persona of Ryan Reynolds is something he switches on, and mm. in real life he's actually pretty quiet and. Reserved. Well, you know what? It's, you know, half the time you meet you when you meet comics backstage, they're really shy. Yeah. And very, it's rare that they're ever just like, hey, Sam Kinison, how you doing? man, he was just like a mouse. Mm. I'm, I'm joking, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I never met Sam Kinison. <laughs> but of all the comics to not be subdued in person, yeah, I right. Yeah. It's him. Well, see, people always ask us about uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And and they're always like, is it fake? Is it real? Is it fake? Is it real? The truth is, it's both. Mm. He, he does, it when he right. gets excited, he starts sounding like we think he sounds. When he's quiet, it's there. It's just much softer. Interesting. So, Interesting. like watching him with his wife, they're they're very quiet, and he's very quiet. We can do he's like a great Jerry Seinfeld small. impersonation very, yeah. and all that, like Sorry, impression. Come on, come on. It's short. It's short. <laughs> this is the Avengers premiere. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody between the drinking and but, the interview but yeah. that, like, gets in his but way. But it's so sweet. Like that's why I say it's not the kind of thing you get in trouble for. Like you don't watch that and you're like, oh, Chris Evans is terrible. You're like, no. I want to hang out with Hi, Chris Marvel Evans. Fan. Oh my God. So wait, wait, wait. She said. All my life growing up, everyone has always said, you look just like your dad. Or if you had a beard, you'd look just like your father. Wow. And imagine being 10 years old and having someone say that to you and you're like, thank you. Yeah. But it still happens then. They go, if you had a beard, you'd look just like your dad. Thank so you. So strange. Such a strange How thing. How did you turn say. out normal? Let's not. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves here.